0: Welcome to the VBAC Link Podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBAC, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helps fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out Episodes 1, 2, and 3. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Welcome, we are on episode 13 today, and I am so excited to share with you, women of strength, my friend Kelly. She lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, so she's a local mom, and she went to a doctor that we kind of rave about here in the birth community. His name is Dr. Silver, and he works at the University of Utah Hospital, and he is really great with empowering women and women's rights for birth choices specifically. And he does a lot of work with VBAC women here and takes on clients that no other provider will. We really like him, and I'm so excited to share Kelly's story today. I, um, I found her in a Facebook group, and she made a comment that she had had a VBAC after four C-sections. And this was when me and Megan were still working out the details for the podcast launch. And we haven't really told anybody what we were doing yet. But I, I commented on Kelly's post and I said, That is so incredible. I love your experience. I have a project I'm working on. Can you message me? And then she messaged me, and I was like, please, 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 will you share your story? We're doing this podcast, and I'm so excited for it, and I just know you can inspire so many women with your story. And luckily, she she didn't mind my Facebook stalking attitude. And she agreed. And I'm so excited to finally be recording her episode because um, a VBAC after four C-sections is something that you hardly ever hear of. And so I'm just going to turn it right over to her and let her tell you her story
1: in her way. Awesome. I am actually really excited to share my story um, you know, I'm part of a lot of Facebook groups, and I try to comment where I can. A lot of people are around there asking questions from other people's experience, and I know what that's like because when I was pregnant with my fifth child, I felt like there was nobody to turn to. Um, I really needed that extra little boost, and so hopefully this reaches some people that have some doubts or are questioning their decisions and, and helps them Um So I'll just kind of start back at the beginning, I guess. I I was a really young mom. I got pregnant when I was 18 and uh, got very sick right off the bat. Um, I was having, uh, I guess, hyperemesis gravidarum. Um, and I was you know having a lot of vomiting and lost a lot of weight and at one point, I was down to like one hundred and thirteen pounds, which for me is really, really small. I tend to be a little on the chunkier side, um, mm-hmm. but the doctors couldn 't figure out what was wrong with me because it was a little bit more severe than just hyperemesis. I had some weird things going on, um, and I was just really sick the entire time um, when I was about i would say twenty weeks along. We did the anatomy scan and all that traditional stuff, and you know I kind of was just following whatever the doctors told me to do. And we found out that my baby was a girl. We were super excited, but that she also had some signs of some some complications like Down syndrome markers on the on the ultrasound, so we went forward and had an amniocentesis done. Came back normal. That was awesome. But I continued to be really sick, and when I say those kind of strange symptoms, it was things like um, my blood pressure would be sky high one day and then it would be normal. I'd have protein in my urine, but then it was gone. Huh. Nothing was really consistent. And I had itching all over my entire body, which I guess is another complication. Some women get cholestasis, but I did not have that. The negative test was negative. Just lots and lots of things were going wrong. <laughs> I was really, yeah. really sick. Um, Right after we had the amniocentesis done, I think I was maybe, I had to have had the results back, so maybe like 24 weeks along or so, I started getting this pain in my chest, and it was the most intense pain I've ever had in my entire life. I didn't sleep for three or four days straight. It was just so much pain, and I kept going to the emergency room because it felt like at night was the worst, and there's no doctor around. Um, so, my regular OB was treating me for heartburn. they told me, "Oh yeah, yeah, it 's your first pregnancy you 've never had heartburn before it 's just heartburn it 's totally normal, so I was taking medication for that, and it wasn 't helping. Then, I would go to the e r and they'd give me pain medication. It would help a little while, and the next night I'd be back again. Um, they thought maybe I had an ulcer, so then I tried ulcer medication for a while, and this went on for a few weeks um, and during this time, my blood pressure was creeping up a little bit every appointment, but it wasn 't super high. For me, it was high. I guess at the time I was really I was eighteen, I had really you know normal, healthy blood pressure um, but I basically ended up having a condition called help syndrome, which is like a really oh. extreme form of of yeah preeclampsia, uh, pre-eclampsia. Yes, yeah Thank you
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it, I diagnosed myself on the internet <laughs> and <it> told my <laughs> doctor, I think I have this, and this is back before Google existed, so I'm pretty impressed with my 18 year old self still but they ran a blood. Test and they did a liver panel and found out that day I had health syndrome. I was 27 weeks pregnant
0: oh and it was so
1: far gone that I was, you know, my blood pressure was like 200 over 160 or something ridiculously high. And they took me to the hospital, put me on magnesium and said, you're having this baby today. Um, so this was my first C-section. This is the one that I consider medically relevant. Um, this was an emergency situation. Yeah. You know, this was something that was really like they needed to get the baby out. Well, they did try to induce me first and I was progressing so my induction was progressing really well. You know, they say sometimes when your body is sick, you, it kind of knows what to do to get baby out. Um, and I was dilating and I was, you know, feeling a lot of contractions and it was felt like things were really moving. But suddenly her heart tones basically disappeared off of the monitors and they all ran in and they tried to reposition the monitor and nothing was coming up at all. So I was rushed back and I was put under general anesthesia and they got her out. Um, And because my blood pressure was so high, my placenta had abrupted completely. So, this is a true, like the worst case scenario emergency crash C section. Um, And obviously, you know, this was a scary experience. I was really young. She was really early. She was one pound, three ounces. Oh my gosh. Uh, it was really just crazy. But at the time, this was my first baby, so I had no idea what to even expect. So everyone always says, how did you handle this? I don't know. It's just because I didn't know any better, I think. And I'm glad that it was my first child because I would have been a lot more of a nervous wreck if it was one of the other ones than, you know, after kind of going through this a few times. Um, so this is what, you know, a medically necessary cesarean. Um, the ones that followed were not. And so when I was pregnant with my fifth baby, I started looking into options and found this great kind of underground network of women on online that have had multiple C-sections and gone on to have a vaginal delivery with no issue. And all these years I've been told it's so dangerous to have a, you know, a trial of labor after even one cesarean. It's, you know, you'll die and leave your kids motherless. And I really, believed them so much so that there was a big gap between me having my fourth and fifth kids because I thought I would die if I had another baby. So um, I'm really grateful that this platform exists. I'm glad that there is this way of connecting with other moms out there. Otherwise, I would have just had five C-sections or maybe not even. I might have stopped at the third baby and never had more. Um, but hearing other people's experiences helped me to look into what you know the real statistics are, and that it can be done. And and people are shocked when they hear that I've had four C sections and an then a vaginal delivery. But there are actually more out there. There are women that have had them after six and seven, and it just it's awesome what our bodies can do and what our bodies can handle. And the fear factor is really what I had to eliminate from my brain to be successful. Um, So after my first traumatic experience having a baby, I had a you know one-pound baby in the NICU for almost six months. She was very sick. She was on oxygen when she came home, heart monitors, things like that. Uh, Very medically complex child. Um, I got pregnant again when she was just um, about a year old. And at the time, you know, this makes me sound so old, but at the time, I mean, a VBAC wasn't even an, an option with my OB. They told me you're just having another C-section. This is what we do. It's safer. We're going to schedule you. They had me scheduled for my C-section when I was in for my very first prenatal appointment. So this was just not even a discussion. And at the time, I'm, you know, like almost 20 years old, and I believed it as gospel doctrine that this doctor has my best interest in mind. It is very dangerous to have a vaginal delivery after a C-section because your uterus will rupture. Um, So I just had a planned cesarean. Uh, I went into labor early and they had me come in and had me get on the monitors, and it was real labor. I was about 35 weeks along, and they decided to test for lung maturity, so they did an amnio that night, and his lungs were mature, so they just went ahead and did the C-section right then. He was pretty healthy, no problems, routine, cesarean. Um, Luckily for me, even though they were scaring me out of having vaginal deliveries ever. All of my incisions were at the low transverse, which is a safer scar, although people do be back with other, you know, types of special scars too. Um, My third child was just a planned cesarean from the get-go like before. Um, With him, I also went into labor on my own. I was 37 weeks this time. I went to the hospital. I'm standing there checking in at labor and delivery, and my water broke. And that was such a cool experience for me because I'd had two plans cesare- to – well, the first was an emergency, sorry. I'd had a plan cesarean the time before, and I never kind of experienced what a real – I wanted that experience. I really craved that. I need that. I just wanted to feel connected with the whole birth experience. So getting my having yeah. my water break was so cool. I thought it was awesome. They treated it like it was an emergency situation. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So my water breaks, and they're strapping me to a gurney and taking me to the OR right then. They said it was an emergency C-section. It was just crazy. And this is the only time I feel like I was, I guess, you know, a lot of people that have had multiple cesareans have had pretty bad experiences and feel like they've had malpractice or mistreated. Um, During my cesarean, they let me stay awake that time, even though they said it was an emergency um, I didn't have my doctor. It was a doctor who's on call who came in. he leaned over the curtain and said, "I want you to think really hard right now if you want to have more kids or not, because I really think that you should have your uh, tubes tied right now." And I was just Whoa. in shock. I and mean, I just my water had just broken. I was having my baby. Like, why do I need to decide this now? Um, and I just kept saying, "No, no, 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 no." You know, please don't do this. No, no, no. You know, I didn't know if I wanted more kids or not, but I definitely didn't want to have my tubes tied especially in that circumstance, Um, and he leans over the curtain again, and he tells me, the reason I'm telling you this is because your scar is open. Your uterus was about to rupture. You could have died. You and your baby would have died. I need you to think about this. Make your decision. Are you going to let me tie your tubes or not? And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. I was in shock. So during that cesarean, they found I had a window, and I've gotten my records since then and looked through them, and They call it different things in different parts. I don't really know exactly what happened. This was, you know, almost 13 years ago now. But they call it a window sometimes. Um, They call it a dehiscence in other parts. And in other parts of the surgery report, it says a rupture. So I don't know if it was completely open, if it was just a thin spot in the star or what, but they freaked out about it. Mm -hmm. Basically told me, don't have any more kids. Um, They wanted to tie my tubes. I said, no. When I had my follow-up appointment, um, my regular OB told me, you need to seriously think about this. Uh, She told me that if you have another baby, you are going to die and leave your children motherless, and that's so selfish. Pressed me to get an IUD. Um, It was really awful. Um, And side note, later on, I found out that I actually am missing a fallopian tube, and the only time that could have happened was during a surgery with her I had later.
0: Oh Our my gosh! Like
1: her opinion was like, don't have any more kids, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure you don't have any more kids, kind of a thing. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, it was just really awful, and probably the worst ces- cesarean out of all of all of my experiences, just because of the whole scare tactics of it. Um. So then I had a really, really big gap. I believed them that it was really dangerous. The way they were freaking out during the surgery, and the way that they were really impressing upon me, don't have any more kids. You need to, you know, make sure you have contraception. Um, it scared the daylights out of me. So I actually ended up getting divorced and remarried, and my new husband had no children of his own and really wanted kids of his own, so I started kind of just looking around the Internet and seeing, is this really true? Am I going to just, like, fall over dead if I get pregnant a fourth time? And then I started to kind of see stories where people had backs and stuff, and and I thought, wow, that's really cool. So I made an appointment with Dr. Silver um, kind of like a preconception counseling appointment. I had heard he was really kind of the guy to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was not before I was even considering VBAC. I was just I just wanted to know if I could get pregnant and have a baby and not die. So I made an appointment with him. And I was also concerned about placenta accreta. That's something that's hardly ever talked about when you're signing consents to have C-sections. They don't right. ask you how many kids you're going to have. And so I had learned about placenta accreta. And I knew that Dr. Silver was kind of like, you know, one of the top people and that he researches that a lot. And I was part of a study later. So I went to him and talked to him and got his opinion. And he said, I would try having a baby without hesitation whenever you feel like it. And my jaw hit the floor. You mean I could just have a baby? He said, yes, absolutely. He's I so really awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was like, a weight was lifted off of me. I couldn't believe he was saying this. It was just so great. So with my fourth pregnancy, I was still kind of afraid to bring up the VBAC idea because my OB, I didn't go to Dr. Silver that time. Uh, I went to another OB, just a regular OB at the hospital, and she never really mentioned it as an option, so I just assumed that she would say no and was kind of too scared to say anything. I don't know why, I, and then you know, looking back, I'm like, oh, why didn't I just say something? Because I really, really, really wanted to have the vaginal delivery. I felt like, at the time, um, I felt like it was probably a little safer Um, I wanted that experience. I really, after having three kids surgically, I just was craving that primal, like, woman experience. I wanted to feel connected to my birth. I didn't feel connected to my birth experience the previous three times. Um, So, but for some reason, I was just too scared to bring it up with her, and she just automatically assumed I was having a C-section again, and so I didn't really say anything. And I I mentioned it to my husband a few times, and he looked at me like I was insane, (laughs) he works at the hospital. So he sees the worst of the worst cases all the time. And Mm -hmm. he just was like, you're nuts. Why are you even thinking about having a vaginal delivery? Just go with the C-section. It's easier. We can plan whatever. So then I'd actually found out my baby was breech and he stayed breech up until the very end anyway. And so I kind of just felt like that was my sign. Like it was meant to be C-section. Little did I know that women have breech babies all the time. (laughs) And they live to tell the tale. Um, So that went fine, it was a planned C-section. I had zero complications during my pregnancy, zero complications with my delivery. They said I had no scar tissue, everything looked good. However, she said, your uterus is paper thin. I could see through it to the baby. This is really dangerous if you have another baby. I would really consider not having any more kids. And I told her at that time, I did want to have more kids. I was planning on having another baby. And she said, okay, well, we'll just monitor you closely then. That's your choice. She was very respectful of that. She didn't tell me I was selfish or I would leave my kids motherless, (laughs) which I loved, that she at least respected my decisions. And that's kind of been the the whole core of my VBAC after four C-sections was really as a patient in my decisions. Um, So after that baby, I wanted to have one last um, and randomly found out we were suffering from secondary infertility. It just was crazy. I I had four kids, no problem, and all of a sudden now I can't get pregnant and I'm trying and trying and trying and I'm doing everything I can think of and it's not working. So we went to see um, the fertility specialist and they found out that I only had one fallopian tube. And that was kind of the reason why they thought I was having trouble. Um, And right after my third baby, that whole traumatic experience, I had a cyst in my ovary that I had to have surgically removed on that side. And so I... You know, we were worried about my fallopian tube back then, but the surgeon had told me everything was fine, that they were able to save it. They removed the cyst, ovary. There was blood flow to the fallopian tube. Everything was great. But when I had my fertility test done, they showed an amputation. They were positive that this didn't just <gasps> die and, like, fall off. It was amputated, and they could see, like, the clean line where it was amputated. So that was when of was to find out. I'm so I was sorry that people. that happened, happened to you. Like, that must have been really hard to it find out. It was actually out. really devastating because it felt like, all of these bad feelings just came up from the C-sections and from this doctor feeling kind of like she had power over me and could make that decision for me. It was just so, it was devastating. And it made me feel really vulnerable. And this is kind of where my distrust for physicians stems from. It's mm-hmm. terrifying to put that kind of trust in a doctor again after you feel like they've lied to you or they've done something against you. But I had my fourth baby with no problem. So we're still like, what the heck is happening here? I had one fallopian tube then too, because this was 13 years ago. Um, but they went in and did, you know, some, some more testing. And so I had a surgery. They were trying to fix it and see if scar tissue was there, whatever. So it ended up being that my left fallopian tube, the only remaining fallopian tube, was damaged with scar tissue. And so nothing could pass through. And they think that that scar tissue was actually due to my fourth C-section. Mm. So the healing and all that just, you know, scar tissue builds up. And it was, it was like saran wrap, he said, clinging to my fallopian tube and covering up the end of it. So there was no way that we were going to be able to have another baby um, without intervention. So we did IVF and we were, you know, very, very fortunate that our first round of IVF worked and I got pregnant with my fifth baby and I was thinking, this is probably my last chance. I am going to have a vaginal delivery this time and I don't care who is trying to stand in my way. It's going to happen. And that was my attitude from the very first positive pregnancy test and so I started searching I need a doctor who will let me do this first of all because it's kind of out of the question after you know a lot of people it's out of the question after just one c-section here I am I've had four um, and I heard of Dr. Silver and a couple other physicians in the area that would possibly see me as a patient so I started a quest of going out to them um, and Dr. Silver was like sure you know Well, I'll take you on. We're happy to have you as a patient here. And I just felt accepted from the very beginning. And his staff also was phenomenal. They have midwives that work in their office that Mm -hmm. you actually see most of your pregnancy. They don't deliver the babies there, but they give all the prenatal care. And they were just so supportive and just a positive force. So that pregnancy, I was kind of sick and kind of struggled a bit with that, too, and weight loss and all that stuff. But I made it my furthest pregnancy. I went to 39 weeks and three days, and my body went into labor by itself. And I was in labor for probably three days total, but I just stayed home as long as I could and I labored and I had my baby's nursery set up and I actually had a painting on the wall that said she believed she could, so she did. And that was my mantra. And I just stared at that painting while I was laboring, and, it, and it, my labor would stop during the day, and it would start at night. Like a lot of us moms, I guess your body kind of knows that oh, yeah. you're busy with kids and stuff during the day. So that happened to me for a couple nights, and I would just go in the baby's nursery, and I would labor all night long, and finally you know, realized it's probably time to go in. Um, and I was trying really hard because even though I had a supportive provider, I knew that there's going to be nurses and there's going to be people at the hospital they are going to be really freaked out by me as a patient, and I really wanted to eliminate feeling like I was on the clock. So I wanted to uh-huh. stay home as long as I possibly could. That way I could get to the hospital and I wouldn't be there for hours and hours and hours. Um, and, you know, especially in pain, you don't know what you're going to do. I was afraid that I would cave in and get the epidural, and I really didn't want to have an epidural. I had a really bad reaction to the medication during my fourth C-section, so I was kind of trying to avoid medication, and I thought if I go to the hospital, I'm going to be on the clock. They're going to, you know, expect things to progress by a certain timeline, and so I just stayed home as long as I could, but I finally couldn't take it anymore, (laughs) and I went to the hospital, and, um Another thing I had planned is I didn't want to have any, you know, I didn't want to have any uh cervical checks because I had heard that it can be really defeating for people to find out that they're only at a two or something when they come in and they've been in pain for two days so I was declining those but then I just kind of had to know and so when we got there I had them checked and I was five centimeters already and I was like woohoo I feel like this is awesome this is happening we are having a baby today this is so great and so I called my doula and she came and she gave me a foot massage and we set the tone of the birth and you know had the lights down and candles and I was listening to my hypnobirthing stuff and And I was just working hard for hours. So then then I started declining cervical checks. I didn't want any more checks. They were very scared. I was right. These nurses were terrified of me. They were watching me like a hawk. Um, Every time anything on the monitor looked weird, they would run in and reposition everything. (laughs) And so that kind of gave me a little anxiety and it was a little bit hard to deal with. Um, But I can see it from their perspective. They don't see this ever. In fact, the nurse that was there when I delivered told me I was her very first one she ever saw or heard of. And so I can understand why they were jumpy about that, but I did choose to be on monitoring because of the fact that I had a previous possible uh, scar separation and that my I had that thin uterus during my fourth um, delivery. I chose to be on the monitors because I kind of just wanted to see like how my baby is doing, especially after yeah. my first baby, you know, having the abruption and her heart tones going down. I wanted to hear it. Luckily, uh, her heart tones were fantastic the entire time I was in labor, the entire delivery, so I didn't have anything to worry about there. Um, but so, you know, several hours into my labor, I I was starting to kind of feel like medium in transition. I'm crying. I'm feeling like I can't do this. So I decided to have them give me a check again, and they said you're still five. And I could oh not believe it. And I regretted that check so much after that. I'm like, oh, I wish I never had them check me because now I feel like I'm going to have a C-section. My body has stopped. I'm going to have, I'm going to end up with a C-section. This is great. And I was feeling so defeated and just really, really upset. But my doula was there to kind of cheer me on, and she suggested a few things. And um, she suggested that we try maybe some, like, nipple stimulation to kind of pump up labor or whatever. She left the room, my husband and I were there. And that actually helped a lot. I felt like my contractions were super intense after that. Um, and, but meanwhile, Dr. Silver actually was in another clinic up north, probably like an hour away, and he hadn't come in yet. And I'd been there for several hours already. But he had called the nurse's station, and he told them, just to ask her if she wants to have her water broken. He said, I think that will really help progress things. They came in and offered that as an option, and I flat out said, no way, and kicked them out of my room. I'm not having <laughs> interventions because I felt like you break my water and nothing happens. I'm getting wheeled back for a C-section in 24 hours. And yeah. so I was just so stubborn about it. And so finally, after a few more hours, I let them check again, and I was still five. And at this point, I'm like falling and I, it seems like I feel like I'm in transition, but nothing is happening. And so finally, Dr. Silver came, and he came in and gave me a little pep talk, and he said, I will let you do whatever you want for as long as you want. You look healthy. Your baby's fine on the monitor. You, I'm fine to let you keep going as long as you feel like going. He said. But as a, as a side note, as he left the room, I'm not a fan of watching you be in pain for no reason. <laughs> and I said, okay, whatever, go away. <laughs> I'm gonna do this. And so finally, I I gave in, and and I felt like I was giving up. But at the time, you know, you hear about interventions or you know, cascade of interventions and all this stuff. So I was really trying to avoid doing anything that could possibly land me a C-section without, you know, it being a necessity. But I finally said, okay, I let him break my water. Um, So he came in and broke my water. And, and about five minutes later the baby was crowning. (laughs) nice (laughs) so for me that was probably the right decision and I felt like I wish I would have listened to him a few hours ago because my baby was literally in my arms 10 minutes later so that worked out (laughs) really well for me but it doesn't always work out for everyone that way so it's Mm -hmm. hard to know I mean and this is a situation where my stubbornness and my distrust of doctors kind of clouded my judgment in listening to his advice because of the fact that I didn't know if I could really trust it you know But looking back, I know that he had my best interest at heart, and he's very experienced and skilled. He's probably seen people like me before, and his suggestion was valid. They broke my water and my baby was born super quick. So that was kind of awesome. Um, the nurses were all so excited. They did have a whole team of people in my room, which is something I was really nervous about because they thought that, you know, if anything happens, they're going to have to swing this baby to the NICU real quick. Um, mm-hmm. But I was really adamant that I'd be the first one to touch my baby. That's an experience I've never had before. And I wanted to be the first one to touch my baby. And my husband, who works at this hospital, said, nope, they usually take the baby first and, and then they hand it to you. Um, luckily for me, that didn't happen. She came out screaming and vigorous and they were able to put her right on my test and it was just the magical experience I had always wanted to have. <clears throat> and um, after that, um, I'm getting my, you know, they call it the golden hour or whatever. I'm having my nice little bonding moment with my freshly born baby. They realize that I am bleeding a lot more than I needed to be and um, that I would probably have to go to the OR to be repaired because I had some significant lacerations and they were internal. I had none on the external portion which was awesome. That's what I was kind of planning on happening and yeah. that did happen. But the internal injuries were really significant and so I, even though I had labored for 12 hours in the hospital without medication. I had to go and get an epidural so that I could be awake in the OR while they did their stitching and stuff. And I could feed my baby as soon as I got out and be awake and alert and all that for her. Yeah. So that felt really, really deceiving. And it clouded my whole experience, I feel like, because I never anticipated that that would happen. That was not even on my radar of of possible outcomes to get an epidural after an unmedicated delivery was just like a kick in the gut. And it really made my recovery hard. And I was feeling really, just really negative and kind of depressed. Uh, It took a long time to sort through all those feelings. I, I was really angry kind of with my body, like, why did this happen to me? I had read all these books and prepared so much and done everything that you think you're supposed to. And yeah, I had this Pretty horrific birth injury. And then, you know, here I am, I'm supposed to have an easier experience recovering. They say, you know, vaginal births are always easier than cesareans. And here I can't walk again. And I've had this epidural and I'm numb for several hours. And it's just really, really awful. Um, But now my daughter just turned one. I've had lots of time to reflect on this experience. And It doesn't even feel like that remotely anymore. (laughs) When I think about those dark days, you know, right after she was born, it just seems like such a distant, faded memory. And all the positives are just so much bigger in my mind now. I achieved something that I set out to do, which felt so awesome. Um, I got congratulations from everybody in the hospital, from the – The residents that came in to help with the repair to Dr. Silver himself, the nurses were just like amazed. Um, Some of the midwives came to visit from the midwife group in the hospital. They just couldn't believe it. Everyone had heard that this VBAC after four C-sections had happened, and it really felt like this was bigger than just me, and that was one of my motivations, too, because I surfed high and low I wanted to read birth stories from moms like me. I wanted to see birth videos from moms like me. And there's not a lot out there. There are women out there that have had C-sections, I mean, have had vaginal deliveries after multiple C-sections, but they don't talk about it as much, I feel like, or you just don't hear about it as often. And so I wanted to make sure that I didn't let this whole tribe of women down. And that was kind of in my mind while I'm in labor. I have to do this. Like, they're counting on me. And even after, you know, a year later, if a doctor hears about my experience, just like, wow, and I've just met with so much positive, so much positivity towards it, and I feel like at least I did my small part to kind of change the attitude around VBACs after multiple cesareans in the healthcare world um, because it wasn't heard of before at my hospital. So now these nurses and these doctors have seen it. They've seen that a woman's body can do this, and I feel like the next time a patient comes to them seeking this experience, they're going to be a lot more um, willing to take on Uh, her experience or her as a patient and to support her and let her make her own decisions for her body because they've seen it can be done and so that's kind of where I feel now um, that I'm super glad I did it I mean the recovery was rough but even still it was easier than my c-section recoveries I was up and moving a lot sooner than I was with my with my surgical deliveries and and while I had you know this this injury that took a while to heal from it was a lot easier overall And I would choose it a thousand times over just for the moment where they placed my screaming newborn on my chest, if for nothing else. (laughs) So I'm just so glad that I was able to do it. I'm glad that there's the support out there. Uh, Hiring a doula is like the best thing I could have ever done because while my husband was on board after all my research and all my begging and pleading with him, I don't know that he would have been able to keep cool in some of the scenarios that I was Mm -hmm. in or when I was starting to doubt myself and you know think maybe I should just have a c-section again I don't know how strong he would have been but she knew that that's what I wanted and I told her be mean to me if you have to (laughs) and she never had to be mean to me thank goodness but it was nice having the support there um and while my doctor was very supportive of my wishes too not all of the staff was um not that they were unsupportive, I think they were just scared. A few times they had sent residents in to read me the hospital policy that they don't allow uh, VBACs after more than two C-sections, and they kind of made it seem like, oh, you know, you're kind of making a crazy choice here. But every time I said no, they respected that and they backed off. so I've had a really good experience. I know not a lot of people do. I know there's hospitals out there that have V back bans completely and they use every scare tactic in the book. So I know that I'm fortunate in that my hospital and my providers were uh, supportive of my decisions as a patient. They didn't try to coerce me into changing my mind. They didn't try to do anything unethical that even though they didn't necessarily agree with my decision and my decisions were respected um, and that's really key. You have to find yeah. a provider that will respect you and what you want and even if you're making a decision that seems a little bit crazy to them, you know it's still your choice. It's not recklessly dangerous. If you look at the facts, the risk of uterine rupture is very small even after four C-sections. There's not a lot of research but it's it's just not a risk that I felt like was a deal breaker. They they estimated with my you know situation before having a scar separation and all that that even still my risk was probably somewhere lower than four percent, and to me that's just no brainer. Four percent right. risk of rupture that's probably not going to happen to me. So, I did it. No problems at all. The uterus was completely intact. No rupture. And then he even cleared me if I want to have another baby, go for it. So, you know, I don't know if that's in the cards for us, but at least I know that I can, you know, go to a doctor and feel respected and and be able to choose the birth that I really want to have, regardless of what other people's opinions are. What I want is something that I can achieve. That is so awesome.
0: You know, um, you're right. I have open right here in front of me on my computer, um, this incredible resource after VBACs, after multiple C-sections, you're you're right. There's not a lot of research and studies and anything on that. But I found this really awesome, um, gosh, what I don't know what to call it. Article, I guess, on um, the website plussizepregnancy.org. Org. And don't let the name plus size pregnancy fool you, because this 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 is for everybody, not just plus size women, but um, It, like, breaks apart every single study of VBAC two C-sections, VBAC after three C-sections, after um, more than three. And um, it's, like, everything you can possibly find on the Internet is consolidated. It explains all the studies. It links to them. And it's a credible resource. So I've shortened the link down to a bit.ly. And the link you guys can go to is bit.ly psp for plus size pregnancy vba2c you can go there and it'll end you're going to have to scroll down a little ways to get to the back after multiple cesarean parts but there's a summary of all the studies and it said that you know obviously there's only a few studies and even the studies that are out there have such a small sample size that you really can't get a definitive statistic just because of the smaller sample size, but from what's available out there, the rate of successful VBAC in all of the studies combined was 79%. 79% of women that were allowed a trial of labor after three or more C-sections had a baby vaginally, and the rate of rupture was only 1.2%. Which um, the rate of rupture for a VBAC after just one cesarean is anywhere from 0.4 to 0.7%. So um, those statistics are really neat, and I'm going to put a link to this in our episode summary. But again, for everybody that wants that information, bit.ly/psp. VBA2C and that'll take you right to that article. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your VBAC story with us. I know that you are going to inspire so many people and I'm so grateful to you for letting me Facebook stalk you and, <laughs> and share your story with us. So, thank you so much. My pleasure. We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, Post on social media with the hashtag YWeVBAC and tag at the VBAC link or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website UtahVBACLink for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.